Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. So today's show is actually pre-recorded, and um, I have a very special guest with me. Many of you already know and have heard, but just in case some of you who are new to the podcast, is that generally we are live, um, and occasionally we will do a recording. Uh, today's show is recorded because we have someone who is um, uh, working with us to um, bring the show to you and, and is, is an amazing, amazing storyteller. And I'm just excited to have him. Uh, he's an um, advertising and marketing leadership professional. Uh, he's had experience, extensive experience in, in those and uh, brand development. And um, as you know, um, my show has been around conversations with people with interesting stories and and work that they do that is helpful to leaders and aspiring leaders. Uh, so we're just going to have a conversation. Uh, what I really enjoy about this show is that I don't have a cast of people behind me saying, uh, try this, um, interview this person, talk to this person. Uh, usually I come across these people through separate serendipity. And um, today's guest is no exception. Uh, I was scrolling through, as I have to admit, through TikTok, and I saw an amazing story being told. And this story um, made me go back and look and read up, um, as so many of my guests uh, have appeared, uh, look and read about uh, this this individual. And so I want to introduce to you um, uh, someone who is uh, going to, I'm sure, um, broaden our uh, perspective today and add to us, uh, Neil Ford. Welcome, Neil. Thank you, Dr. Perkins. It's great to be here. Yeah. So um, as I said, you know, I, it, it's just a matter of talking uh, to you about uh, the work you do. And so as I started to say, I, you know, I ran across you first on TikTok of all places. And, and, and now I, I'm just amazed at all the, the, the great content that is posted on TikTok. You know, a lot of people thought, I, I think that this was going to end up being something for just, I should say, just for teenagers. But no, that's what it started uh, is, that is, that, Oh, okay. That's where it started. Well, it is far from that today. Um, and the work that you have put up there, the content that you put up there has just been uh, inspiring. And um, I want to thank you for, for a lot of what you have, have put there. And so today's show, what I do want to talk about, because first I want to hear about you, the work you do, but I do want to talk about um, advice you have for uh, how to incorporate storytelling into your leadership style and why you think it's a good idea. Um, I mean, you, you just do a great job of that. So let's start with, tell me a little bit about yourself, um, what you do, and how how you ended up with this, this knack for storytelling. I started in advertising. I'd spent a couple of decades in that, and I was on the creative end of things. <clears throat> and frequently, um, Dr. Perkins, what you have to do whenever you're going to be producing any kind of advertising is you have to get it approved 
And you can't very well get it approved unless somebody believes that they are, they are persuaded that it's going to do what you say it's going to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you might say that instead of producing advertising for almost 30 years, what I was really in was in the persuasion business, both <laughs> the messages that we would produce, you know, we're trying mm -hmm. to get you to use a product one, one over the other, but in point of fact, the more difficult sale was always trying to get somebody to spend their money in order to persuade somebody else. And you might say that in the, in the spirit of Malcolm Gladwell, I, I put in my 10,000 hours of making presentations to people where I had the, just, just the art of the words to explain to you why this, what it was going to do and why it was going to do it. And nothing was nearly as effective. You know, you, you, people most frequently, whenever they give presentations, what they'll do is they'll throw a bunch of PowerPoint slides together and they'll put bullet points on those slides and then they'll read them to you. And it may be the, about the least effective way of convincing anyone to do anything. It, mm -hmm. it is a, uh, they are vastly underestimating uh, their own, their, they are overestimating their own appeal and they are underestimating the amount of weight they're trying to lift when you're trying to change somebody's mind. Mm -hmm. And what I would frequently, what I would frequently tell my own crews and something that I've learned more and more the older I've gotten, which is, you know, storytelling is probably the oldest of the art forms because mm -hmm. if you go back into our own history as a species, you can imagine us all sitting around a campfire back before we had medicine or haircuts and we're telling each other about what's going to happen the following day or something that happened that day. So we are, in a way, genetically predisposed to for storytelling to be effective on us. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so uh, when you were asking about my background, that's that's where I come from, is the art of trying to change people's minds. <laughs> and and it, I'll just give you one little aphorism, which I created uh, from things my father used to tell me, and that is, if you want to change somebody's mind, do it slowly, because it is like lifting a very heavy weight. If you try to do it all at once, you're probably going to hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I have a, a great appreciation for mm -hmm. it. And, and probably, you know, I, I, I come from an oral tradition, um, grew up in the rural South. And so I just could listen and would listen for hours and hours to, you know, even if it was standing outside the door, listening to the adults at, at Thanksgiving time or Christmas time, tell all the stories. Uh, because back then, you know, the kids couldn't be in the room when the adults were gathered yeah. to tell family stories. Uh, one of the things I regret, but, uh, but after that, I could often rely on my grandmother to give me the, you know, kind of the post-game analysis of what people talked about, because I had a million questions, but I learned early that just, just that the art of, of being able to talk and, and persuade people to, uh, to do what you wanted them to do. And I think that's a big part of leadership. 
is what you're saying, persuasion. So whether it is persuading someone to do something efficiently and effectively that is their job is one thing, but another thing is uh, presenting a compelling uh, argument or compelling image to someone you want to sell something to. So I, I really identify with what you what what you're saying. I mean, part of the business I'm in 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 developing leaders is also convincing them that what we're saying is the way they should enact their leadership philosophy or their their style. So mm. um, that you know that definitely resonates with me. Um, so. Let me ask you this: You so you you after advertising, uh, you and I mean I guess you're still in the in the business of advertising. Um, what made you, uh, or how did you know that you were effective at doing that? I can imagine you got contracts, but did you get a lot of feedback from people that said, "Wow, thanks for that. That was great." I, what What did you hear from people? Uh, when I made the switch over from the account management side of the business to the creative end of things and advertising, <clears throat> it's a, it's a crazy thing, Dr. Perkins, but when you, there are certain things that you only discover you're good at, uh, you didn't think of it as much of a skill, except that you started to notice that there were things that you knew that other people didn't know, didn't know. They, sure. that they had to be taught. And, uh, <laughs> The origin story about like why I think I had a knack for storytelling was that I, I was in a household where there was a lot of tension and to be able to break that tension was like my life's mission. And I noticed that um, one of my favorite things to do on a Sunday morning was repeat virtually word for word everything I'd seen on Saturday Night Live the night before for the family. Um, and what happens, of course, is that you, any stand-up comedian will tell you that they started out and they weren't that good, but that because they had just kept doing it and doing it, and they got the feedback from the audience about like, this, this works and that doesn't work. And they developed their timing and they developed an, an instinct for what gets, what works. Um, it's because of the repetition. And so, you might say that courtesy of Saturday Night Live, I, I had a show every Sunday morning. Like you have a show, right? It was, yeah. I am going to redo Saturday Night Live. And the nicest thing I ever heard was from one of my sisters who said, that show sucks. Uh, it's always so much better when you do it. And I'm thinking, oh, wow. well, here's to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, of course, I was cherry picking only the best moments. But nevertheless, your original question was like, uh, how do you, I think it was on the long the lines of like, how do you develop that? Or what, how did you know that mm -hmm. that was what you wanted mm -hmm. to do? Um, there's a, the, I, I believe that a, the, the storytelling instinct is one where you want to share. Have you ever had this experience where, let's say, for example, you're standing at the rim of the Grand Canyon. I went and saw the Grand Canyon and uh, I, I went back to get a beverage of some kind. And so I walked away from the lip of the canyon. And when I turned back, here's what I noticed again and again. People would walk to the edge. They would see this magnificent panorama. And if they were alone, then they would immediately turn back to see if anybody else was there to share it. 
Like mm. their first, their first instinct was they wanted to share it. It wasn't as yeah. much fun mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. just looking at it on your own. Where's the joy in that? It's it's the sound of one hand clapping, or if a tree falls in the forest. If it if it falls in the forest, there's nobody to hear it. No, there wasn't a sound, right? Mm-hmm. So, so storytelling in a way is it's the impulse to share. It's the yeah. impulse yeah. to share life's experience. And um, my father used to say to me, he goes, you know, life doesn't come with theme music. You mm-hmm. don't know when you just met the love of your life. You haven't the faintest clue whether the guy standing behind you in the ATM line is a bad guy or a good guy. There's no eerie music for to signal the bad, nor happy-go-lucky music to signal that it's a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. And we're all kind of on this journey together, exploring together. And I believe that um, the impulse to want to tell stories is the impulse to want to share the the adventure. And I and the older I've gotten, the more sympathetic I've gotten to people that maybe aren't having a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's what I mean. When once you start to realize that your neighbor, your student, your fellow faculty member, whomever, once you once you are reinforced the idea they're on this journey just like i am mm-hmm. and they're just as they feel just as alone and and vulnerable as i do as soon as you start to recognize that you see them differently you see them as somebody you want to you want to reassure and reach out to and there's the, i cannot remember the specifics of the quote but it's a Vonnegut quote and it has something, it goes like our duty as humans is to love whoever is there to be loved. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you may notice in the TikTok videos that I post or the LinkedIn videos, they really, if you go through them one after the other, they are just trying to reassure people that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I find that the hunger for that and thirst for that is bottomless mm-hmm. yeah thank you for that um i you know as you talked about it i i thought about uh earlier when you mentioned your your saturday night live yeah. re- reproductions but i think about um a student came to me once and asked me uh how he might practice um telling stories or giving examples. Uh, he mentioned to, to the way he talked about it was uh, the, the opportunities that he had heard me speak. And often I'll, to make a point, I'll make the point and to emphasize it, I'll tell a story and then I'll repeat the point. And it's just kind of, I, but, but I didn't go to school to learn that. It's just something that over time, as you said, um, I figured out worked from the feedback I got from people. Yes, now that makes sense. And mm-hmm. so it's just a habit I fell into. And so he wanted to know what he could do. But one one piece that I do notice, even for myself, when I'm speaking to groups, um, I think there's a certain energy. And I, I, I mean, I admire you doing the TikToks because you're doing those into a screen. And I think that's a very special talent where you don't you don't get the energy and the feedback 
from people going, ah, yeah, yeah. Right. you know, and, and so, but you said something really, really important, and I'd love for you to expand a little bit on it, but it was about, you mentioned timing. Um, um, I, as I was telling one of my colleagues um, that I, that I had invited you to, to come on, and I was so excited that you had agreed to come on, and, and so um, she asked, so, what do you what do you think he's going to talk about? I said, well, one of the things I want to ask about is this sense of timing, because what I've learned is that in telling stories and being effective at telling stories is that there is a kind of ebb and flow. Uh, there are these places you told a story on TikTok. Um, about your friend that had his tar, his car towed, that the one yeah. where he, he, you know, he met the woman. <laughs> and yeah. so, Fantastic. and so, yeah, yeah, it was a great story. But what I noticed in your story, and I said, ah, I knew it wasn't just me, is that there are these moments where you stop and you pause and you hold, you, you hold someone. And then, you know, so there's this cadence and I, I've tried to talk to people about there's a, you know, there are places where I'm going quickly through some of the, the information and then a stop. And then I go much to make points that are really profound. I, I slow down and even the tone up and down. So um, the interesting thing is never took a class, in, but it was all about just practice. So I'd love to hear you say a little bit more about how you came to understand about that cadence and about that and what and, and any pointers you might give around what uh, what how you develop that sense of timing and cadence. Um, I know some of it is is real art because that's everything to like stand up comics. You hear them when they try to do workshops and people go, I tried that, but it doesn't work. It's like timing. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's hard to it's hard to talk about what is timing. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Uh, so I've got two things for you. The uh, the first is that um, you you will develop timing over practice. Uh, so the I wish I wish that weren't the sad truth, but you just have to keep doing it over and over until. Uh, so, for example, I think that people, whenever they're making a presentation, they underestimate how much time they should spend preparing. Um, mm. They don't recognize that the dividend of a brilliant presentation is you get everything you came there to get. And but just like a sporting event or like or like a, a test, mm -hmm. you're going to mm -hmm. get out of it what you put into it. And and people think. Once I have put my content down into a PowerPoint slide, I'm finished. Oh, good Lord. What? <laughs> you haven't, you've barely begun. You yes. have to get in front of a mirror. David Mamet, the great playwright said, the only way you will know how to write a play is you've got to write it and then put it on in front of an audience and get your teeth kicked in. And as brutalist as that sounds, that's the sad truth is you've got to get in front of a mirror or you have to put yourself on camera or you have to do it to the dog, but you've got to do it so many times that it is internalized. You know the order of things without having to re resort to slides. Some of the very best presentations I've ever seen um, were because of equipment failure. So uh, one of my guys and my crew, back when I was at Saatchi and Saatchi in New York, <clears throat> young go-getter, very energetic, 
lots of fun, had spent hours putting together a slide presentation. And he just, you know, the energy that he'd put into the art direction and the, and the transitions and everything was abundant, only to have literally the bulb on the projector flare out. And, and so nothing wrong with his presentation, but the projector wasn't going to work. Oh, so wow. He had, so he, but it was a great gift and mm. because he had to do it now completely solo without any of the AV. Mm -hmm. And two things happened. One, when you're without a net and you're in the flow, there's a, it, it actually is superior to the slide presentation because the slide presentation is staccato. It, it stops you in between mm -hmm. each one. But, but when you're just doing it as a story or you're explaining things to somebody, it has a kind of an organic wave-like feeling. It's like mm -hmm. water as opposed to bricks. And then um, on top of that, the respect that his audience had for him for, he goes, all right, the equipment's no good. I'm just going to tell it to you. They, they gave him credit on sort of three axes. The first was this young man is very well prepared. So he has paid us the respect of being ready to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, they all admired that. <clears throat> and, and by the way, his audience, as it happens, were all salespeople. And nobody, nobody loves to be sold more than a salesperson, but they don't give it to you. You know, they don't, that you have to earn it. But when you earn it, you earn it double. It's double points. It's double miles when, it, when you sell a salesman so because, yeah. because they understand the art form, you know, it's, uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Dr. Perkins, if you ever attended a, a professional sporting event in the company of a professional athlete, but you get a completely <laughs> different, I have. I've yes, gone to baseball yes. games with minor league players and we went to see the Giants and and they and they would explain to me the the subtle shifts and the and you know why he's going to not swing at this pitch etc and um for that reason when this person was doing this presentation and he and he just said I'll pivot I don't even need that they were already like oh this okay let's see what happens then mm -hmm. Then the second dynamic of, of um, why the other axes that they appreciated on is he's now reacting to their facial expressions, their body language, yes. and their, yes. right? So, so yes. he's in the moment. Mm -hmm. And on a couple of times in the meeting, he started to get that frosty body language. And he said, Ron, as I'm talking, I'm noticing, I, I look at your expression, I, I don't think you're digging what I'm saying. Would you mind if I just ask, where did I go wrong here? And so now the audience mm. goes, oh, this is interactive. This, is a, this isn't a data dump. Mm -hmm. This is a conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what happens then is that their engagement level goes way goes up. Way up. Mm -hmm. And when he's able to respond, when he discovers, oh, I wasn't going right here. And then they're feeding back to me that that isn't. And then I course correct based on that or explain something that wasn't clear. Again, he's won them over mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they're uh, so also uh, there's nothing quite like asking a, a question of an audience like, is this making sense to you? Does, is there any, does anybody have any questions about that? Because usually that's pretty controversial and I don't see any reaction, which means mm -hmm. either I'm doing a bad job of explaining this. So you understand yeah. when, when, they, right. when the audience is on pins and needles thinking at any moment, this person might call on me, their level of engagement goes up. Yeah. And then, and then 
there is a, there's another dimension too. And you may have noticed this. Uh, I've certainly noticed it in, in very big pitches, you know, when you're trying to persuade an audience to part with money, um, mm -hmm. there's that mm -hmm. moment when you're going to ask for the sale and nine times out of 10, there are very good questions that they're going to ask. And they, and they might be challenging questions. They mm -hmm. might, in other words, the, the tone of the question might be hostile. And I have seen again and again, presentations being won and lost in the Q and a. Oh, sure. Sure. And so, for example, you've probably heard that phrase, you know, selling through the clothes, which is they've already been convinced. This is the time for you to shut up and head for the elevator. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but, but and, and this again is why slide presentations are often a problem because you can tell if you're in the moment and you're making a presentation off post-it notes, or you're just writing on a whiteboard, you can tell when you've, when they've clicked over and they're ready to buy and it, it, you have complete control over whether you now call it quits and you say, okay, so if you agree to this, then we can do X by certain, by this time. And then we'll, come back and register whether or not it's worked. So how does that sound? Do you guys want to approve this? Okay. You know, some version of that. Um, and the, what again and again in the, as I say, the Q and a, it gets won and lost. One of the oh, best, yeah. one of the best responses I ever saw was we were doing a very big installation for a hospital. Um, and there we had presented a lot of work and because it was so much work, the chairman of the hospital said, I don't mean to be rude about this, but frankly, I'm skeptical you can get everything done that you've shown me. And you're telling me you can, but I need to know how much really of this work you've presented can be done by the deadline. And our the guy that was managing the Q&A, he turns to the project manager and he goes, Steve? And Steve, this was his answer. 100%. That was it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you had mm -hmm. in that moment, you know, you'd won because, mm -hmm. we, because there, there was no other answer as good as everything you've seen. Right. Right. There's nothing and more to say. Nothing, nothing more to say. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. when you were asking your question about timing, um, to me, timing actually is related to conviction. Uh, so a stand-up comedian's timing is going to be so good because they've just rehearsed it and rehearsed it. Rehearsed it. Mm -hmm. they, they've got it down to the point where they, it's like a piece of music and, and because it's like music, they can actually play with the timing and make it swing. And sure. Make it better. That's sure. one thing. But, but the other thing is that um, conviction doesn't mean, doesn't have to mean rehearsal. Conviction can mean belief. Mm -hmm. I believe this. So when he turns to him and he says, how much of this can be done? hundred <laughs> percent. How was the timing on that? Oh, that, right, right, right. right. Without, without blinking. Right. Without blinking. <laughs> well, you know, I, and oh, I, yeah, right, I, exactly. No hesitation. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you know, something else you, you've just said that is is really becoming highlighted for me is that you said you, you keep talking about rehearsal and and it, it took me back. So just this morning, so I'm walking through uh, the main building here um, and and uh, I come across 
a gentleman who is a part of the building and grounds crew before the semester officially starts. And so they are uh, spackling and painting places, you know, people bump into whatever. And I stop. Um, and, I, and as I do often when people are doing things that I can't do is I just stop and marvel at his job. I know what he's about to do with the spackling and, and paint. And so I told him, I said, I, I admire what you're doing so much because I, I said, I can't do that. I said, I've tried to patch a little hole and what have you. And his supervisor is walking past and stops. It's like, is everything okay? And it's like, yeah, it's fine. I'm just kind of like looking at this. Admiring. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, Picasso at work here as far as I'm concerned. And so I said, I'm looking at, and he goes about it and he's doing it so well. And then the supervisor says, yeah, he's good at that. He's been doing that a long time. What have you been doing that? You've been here working for us, what, 10 years? And the guy goes, yeah. He said, yeah, he's really good. And, and so then just hearing you say that drives the point home to me today, true, about storytelling, about whether you're selling or, or whatever your reason is, is that just like the guy upstairs and what you were just saying about the, the, what you have to do is that part of this is that you've rehearsed it so much or so well that it looks, it's just natural. It just comes. It, 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 the confidence, those, that component is that I know this. And just like I've seen people who can do amazing things with a basketball or a baseball or a golf club, is that they've, they've been at it. And it looks easy to us, but it's second nature to them because of rehearsal. And I think about you. Now, one of the most, um, what I, I just think was a brilliant opportunity and response, you've probably seen it, um, whether it's on social media or otherwise, was this um, this situation that Steve Jobs was in and someone in the audience was the kind of heckler, right? And he had what people say was the best ever, and I, yeah, I don't know it. about that, but yeah, so he said it was the best ever response. I know and exactly so, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it made me think because I give... <laughs> advice to my students that, you know, sometimes you think that responses come from people and it is off kind of just off the tip of their brain, you know, it's just this thing that they, they're so smart, they, they just thought of it. Now, sometimes we have those moments and we can respond, but other times is because they've already anticipated a what a question might be and how this relates to me in terms of storytelling is that there is indeed a strategy so I wanted I want to hear from you about how you choose stories at times that is it do you do you stop and say here's a story I have and I you know we could go on and on about this because People do also ask me about stories I tell, and I go, you have stories because you've lived and you've made mistakes, right? And you've listened to people who've made mistakes. And so, so, but at times I will strategically select a story way up front that I just kind of have in my, my toolbox or in my pocket or in my, you know, coat pocket so that if I need it uh, to make a point, I have it. 
So tell me a little bit, I know we're almost out of time, but just tell me a little bit about how, how much strategy plays a role in when you decide to tell a story. Um, I, I would do wish we had a lot more time, uh, yeah. Dr. Perkins, because the, it's my favorite subject. I want to go back to the Steve Jobs example that you cite, because um, Steve Jobs was notorious for being prickly. And amongst his own people, you know, he was incredibly mm -hmm. demanding. You will nevertheless find people that worked for him closely who took a beating more than once, but were the nevertheless ferociously loyal to him. There were there were good reasons for that, despite his despite his reputation for being kind of hardcore. Um, so you can imagine that when he is in an when he's in a presentation and somebody gets up in the audience and their question is incredibly hostile and accusatory, mm -hmm. all of the people that knew him well thought, oh, no. Steve's going to bake this guy. He's going to barbecue. <laughs> but instead, instead, yeah. the answer was very gentle. Oh, and yeah. Reasoned and melodic. And I and I know that that case you're talking about because I've studied that over. I have watched that over mm -hmm. and over again mm -hmm. because everything about his delivery was gentle and accommodating. And I thought to myself, how did he... <sighs> Was that strategic, as you would say? Mm -hmm. Was that deliberate? Mm -hmm. You know what I think it was? I think he was sympathetic. I think he honestly responded to that guy with a kind of affection mm. because he respected the man's passion and he he saw himself in the questioner. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden, everybody's fear that he was going to go off on this guy. It's like, you don't know Steve Jobs very well, do you? Because he respects conviction. Maybe his mm -hmm. most, maybe his most fervent internal belief was, I don't want you to agree with me. I want you to be right. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I don't care if you tell me I'm a jerk, but you got to be right. And so he responded with affection. And, and what I'm finding is that if I do something mean to somebody during a day, or if I have an exchange that isn't very gracious on my part, I carry that around with me for weeks mm. the guilt and the feeling like god i really could have handled that better because it's unprofessional i mean as a human being traveling in the world it's unprofessional to react the way a dog does when you're trying to help it but it's injured so it bites you right so it mm. it's not think it doesn't think forward to the point where it's like well maybe they're trying to help me instead it just interprets anything when i'm wounded it interprets anything as a threat Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so let's go to what your question was really about, which is how do you choose stories and you know, how strategic are you? It, it, I'm, there's tactical. I would choose this story because it, it is a good metaphor for what talk, we're talking about. But there's mm -hmm. strategic in every story I tell. I'm trying to say we're all in this together. <clears throat> every single story is I don't cast myself as the hero of the story because I'm not. I'm the one who made the mistake, as you had mentioned before. Right. The stories largely emerge from things that you screwed up. <laughs> and that's why they're so meaningful to you. And so the my overarching brand, if you will, <laughs> is we're all on this journey together. And we've got to have a little more empathy for one another because they didn't hand out an owner's manual. You know, like culture by culture by culture we're all different we all have different operating systems sure and, you know and and who knows where your who your mentor was sometimes 
sometimes you just lucked out and sometimes you didn't. And you got to have some sympathy and grace for people that are, you know, in your audience or just next to you on the airplane. And so strategically, that's where I'm, that's my mission is to persuade everybody. Like, let's, let's just return to having a little more sympathy for one another's. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, and so I, I know um, we're, we're here at the end. I want to give you an opportunity um, to tell people where, whatever handles you have, how they can reach you books and articles yeah. and places where you've <laughs> written, please, how you've, how, how they can uh, reach out to you. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I am reachable via my email, which is in my case, it's easy because it's my name, Neil Ford at gmail.com, but I spell my name funny. It's N-E-A-L-F-O-A-R-D. That's the, that's the easiest way to get me. And then secondly, uh, I teach um, presentation skills and persuasion, the art of persuasion, and they can reach me via passionatelogic.com. The passionatelogic.com. No underscores or anything like that. Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, um, this has been uh, so enlightening. You've added to me today, and I'm sure countless other people who are going to listen in uh, to this uh, uh, when broadcast. So, uh, Neil, I'm you. You are uh, saved in my my contact list. I I am certain our paths will cross again. I sure hope um, so. I'm looking forward to that. And so, until then, go well, stay well. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.